Hi, I'm Stuart McLeod, CEO and co-founder of Carbon. Welcome to the Accounting Leaders Podcast, the show where I go behind the scenes with the world's top accounting leaders. Today, I'm joined by Stefan van Dijvendijk, the Accounting Operations Evangelist at Flowcast. Stefan is an accountant himself and worked at Skullcandy, KPMG and Kodiak Cakes before joining Flowcast. He's an experienced controller who has consistently nurtured finance professionals and improved accounting processes throughout his career. It's my pleasure to welcome the Accounting Leaders podcast, Stefan van Dijvendijk. Well, you know, do the obligatory post-COVID introduction. Where do I find you today? <laughs> I'm located in Salt Lake City, Utah. Oh, okay. Yeah. What about you? Incline Village, North Lake Tahoe, Nevada. Oh, very nice. We're recording uh, the day after voting. Did you go and vote yesterday? I did. Yeah, I actually uh, had to drop off my ballot because I was uh, traveling the last two days. So dropped it off. You know, I live in a, a state where <laughs> it generally doesn't matter how you vote anyway. There's such <laughs> a large majority that you're like, well, here you go, I guess. But uh, I was oh, like, yes. no. okay. yeah. Everybody's encouraged to participate in the process. They would arrest me and put me in jail and deport me if I voted. So I'm very careful not to vote. <laughs> yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Yeah. Only one of our family is a native. He can vote in a few years or about uh, 16 years. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Yeah, he'll represent the clan. That's right. He can only vote once, though. Otherwise, yeah, you get in the same boat. But um in Salt Lake City, you're not too far from the ski fields of Utah, about an hour and a half. Oh, no, like, um, I mean, the closest resort would probably take me from where I live near downtown Salt Lake, probably 25 minutes to get to work in Park City, Utah. At a couple of places, two different locations up there, Skull Candy Inc., which is a uh, CBG headphone company. And, you know, we were one bus stop away from the closest resort. And then I also used, you worked at Kodiak Cakes, where it was like, maybe a 10 minute drive to the closest ski resort. So you could, you know, I would go here and there at lunch or, you know, maybe go into work late that day and work a little bit later so I could catch some powder <laughs> tracks in the morning. So it was, it was, it was pretty nice. What's your resort of choice at Park City? Is Park City itself, there's a couple around there. There's four on the Wasatch Front, which is in Salt Lake. And there's two in Park, I guess three in Park City. But I usually ski canyons just due to convenience and knowledge of the terrain. You know, like it's a lot of, uh, not a lot of locals ski it and it's a relatively large resort. So if you know it well enough, there's like powder in the trees days after a storm, you can just be like, yes, yeah, yeah. It's a bluebird day and I'm up to my chest in powder. So I don't really know what could get better than this. No, there's not much better in life. I reckon we have a, our local resort is a little bit like that. You just, uh, some of our best days, powder days, are just, um, you can ski all day, at least a day, mate. you know, maybe more if you're lucky, we're uh, still in untracked in the trees and um, and it's so much fun. And like the, the Epic and the Icon resorts, you know, get skied out uh, by about, you know, 10 to 9, some idiots are hiking up at 6 a.m. <laughs> well, it's pretty funny because like, you know, even if there's like a few tracks and it's generally pretty good and there's like a few areas that like, the diehards hit like once or twice and they put a few tracks in there and they're like, it's no good anymore. And you're like, there's like plenty here still. If you're just like, you know, willing to enjoy it. Like I'm, you know, I maybe had a foot where I went through someone else's track. I'll take that deal. <laughs> yes, that's right. So especially if you've got a chairlift at the bottom, it's better than, 
we do some hiking and uh, you, where you earn your turns and um, stick the skins on and uphill you go. And, and of course, you can, uh, the reward is, you know, your own line, of course. Yep. But um, you get fit doing that. Like it's hard work some days, <laughs> pushing uphill. Well, Stefan, well, we should talk about work. Tell me about Flowcast and, and how you came to the company and, and your journey. Sure. So Flowcast is a workflow automation platform. Humble beginnings, you know, the two of the three founders are accountants themselves. One of them, you know, worked in public accounting, got out of that, was working at a company where he was helping with the clothes. And it was just such a painful process. He was that cornerstone in like doing revenue recognition, all this stuff. The CEO, Mike, he worked at uh, Cornerstone on Demand and he was helping them with the revenue recognition of their clothes. And like most of us have experienced going through that process, it is painful, right? There's a lot of communication breakdown. There's a lot of perception breakdown. There's a lot of misalignment. And it's just always this like hero's journey to get through the close. And so without any of the heroics. <laughs> the, right, the, exactly. The, yeah. The I didn't go into accounting to be a hero. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so- yeah. <laughs> no parade at the end of it each month. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was like, no, actually, that was the furthest thing I was trying to be when I chose accounting as a career. That was kind of the humble beginnings of Flowcast is just a fed up accountant saying, hey, we can do this differently. And so they, they built a, a workflow automation platform out of it, and it's gone through some iterations. And back in, I believe, late 2019, I was at Kodiak Cakes. I was a corporate controller. They were growing rapidly as an organization. And the accounting manager there and the CFO were there like, hey, have you heard of this accounting workflow automation tool? And I was like, no, I've heard of competitors, but I hadn't heard of that specific one. And I really didn't like any of the competitors, so I wasn't really all that interested. We don't have to skirt the issue. <laughs> Did you try Blackline at your old company? You know, I hadn't. I had, I had seen companies when I was an auditor that were, were using Blackline or using very similar tools, and they weren't successful. They weren't you know, actually adopted. People were bypassing the systems. It made, honestly, the audit more difficult because the controls they told you were in place weren't actually effective. So now you're trying to find these, make up these mitigating controls so that they actually, you know, are, you have a control environment you can test. So I really wasn't all that interested. And then they showed me a demo of Flowcast and I was like, oh my gosh, this is like exactly what I've envisioned. I had actually tried to build something similar at Skullcandy, but I'm not an engineer, right? And the people they had on staff- What did you try and build it out of? (laughs) We were trying to build like the most simplistic model of something similar. And I don't even know what their engineers are using. I just kind of like sketched something out and they're like, well, if we have- Right, okay. Pull out the pen and paper and sit here, build this. (laughs) Yeah, that's exactly what I did. I was like, well, this is kind of how I'd make it look. And I mocked it up actually in Excel and it looked very similar if Mike or or Chris or Colin, the, the founder showed you like their first version of what they had. What I had kind of like, asked to be built was like the very first version of Flowcast back in 2013. <laughs> there you go. Meeting of the minds. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I wish. I wish I had, <laughs> you know, had their vision and their uh, drive back in 2013. When they showed me the demo, I was like, man, this is like a super robust version of what I've dreamed of. And so we signed the contract, got it up and running super quick. And uh, it was super influential to the team. You know, I was kind of blown away on how much it could change how the team ran, give us our insights. Some of it wasn't even information I wanted to hear because it let me know that I was the one that was slowing things down, which is like, yeah, you're the bottleneck. <laughs> you're like, oh, I'm the one slowing this down. I thought it was, 
Well, shoot. <laughs> so it was uh, definitely an eye-opening experience, but it was a really great tool for myself and the rest of the team. And, and we really liked working with the company. They had, um, you know, they just had nice people working there that cared about how you were doing and cared about how the product was working for you and not just that you had signed a contract. So we had, um, I, Kodiak Cake, I've been there for, you know, almost three years. We had just wrapped up a private transaction selling to Al Catterton, which is part of the larger Catterton fund, a pretty massive PE group back East. And so I was kind of looking for my next steps in my career. And so far I've been pretty fortunate at working at companies I really enjoyed. When I left KPMG after public accounting, I got to work at Skullcandy. I love their headphones. I love music. I love their culture. I love where they were located in Park City. I mean, we would ski all the time at lunchtime. I had a coworker, speaking of skiing, that hit 100 days on the mountain one year. There you go. That's the work life. <laughs> yeah. And that guy, when they scan you on your 100 turn on the Epic Pass in Vail, it actually plays like the Rocky theme song. <laughs> no one knew, right? Like, there's legend of that that will happen. And I have a video of my coworker, Tyler, and I'm going up and he's like, let's see if it works. And it plays it. And like, even the person that's uh, working the chair, the lifty is just like, oh my God, this actually happens. And it's like, this is <laughs> <How cool laughs> is that? hundred days. That's a good effort that winter. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, man, that guy went every day of the week. I always kind of worked at places I liked and companies I liked. Same thing with Kodiak Cakes. Love the product, love location, the culture and everything. So when I was leaving Kodiak Cakes, I was like, well, I want to work with a company that I really enjoy their product. I'm familiar with it. So I let Forecast know that I was looking and, you know, hoping they had something in the accounting finance space. And they say, have you considered marketing? And I said, not in a million years. I'm an accountant. And then they came back to me like, but you really should consider this evangelist role. And I was like, I don't even know what that means. So I'm going to, I'm going to give you a hard pass. And eventually they said, well, just give us 15 minutes on a phone call. And let us know what you think. And so that's kind of how they got their hooks in me and, and convinced me to go. So that's, that's kind of what brought me into Flowcast. And, uh, you know, at the time I was looking to, you know, maybe to get a VP of finance, maybe a CFO role at a smaller company. But one thing I'd felt in my career is that why I was still perfecting the craft in a lot of ways, it was really fine tuning of the machine, right? You're not learning really great insights. You, you've mastered a lot of it. You're maybe not like a pure master in every sense of the term, but you have a great knowledge broadly. And um, I just felt like I was losing my competitive edge on learning. You know, I felt like that ability to learn new things was kind of disappearing. So when Flowcast offered me an opportunity to look at the way I do my work completely differently, new mindset, new skill set, it really interested me. And so I said, well, it doesn't hurt me to, to take a break and try something new. And I've always had a passion to bring knowledge on like, hey, we, we can change the way we do our work and we should challenge the notion of how we do our work. And I'm not saying that I have the magic way of doing things. What I think the magic way of doing things is being willing to learn and change and challenge. And that's what we want to do. And that's what Flowcast wants to bring to the market is they're saying, well, we want to disseminate that knowledge, challenge the status quo and say, we need to do things differently. This is a way we think you can do things differently but also learn ourselves and change ourselves at Flowcast and our platform. If someone else comes out with a better idea and says, you know, this is how we're using the product and we think it's a great way, then we're all ears. There's no ego there. Yeah. I imagine you sort of went into it thinking, well, you can always go back to a, exactly. a VP of finance role if it doesn't work out. That's 
even in this climate, there's still plenty of those roles out there. <laughs> That's right. Once you've kind of like gone through the gauntlet a couple of times, you've proven yourself, your resume stands on its own. And so really what I'm doing now is just trying new skill sets. And I really do think when you look at successful CFOs, the skill they have isn't necessarily financial prowess, right? You know, they're not coming out. There's, oh, I'm just this prodigy when it comes to finance. They're obviously very talented and smart in that space, but they're able to communicate effectively and efficiently. And that's something that accountants don't get a lot of opportunity to try and do and, and see. And I said, well, who communicates more than an evangelist? Not many. So this is a great way to kind of work on that skill set. It's, it's wow, you're one step away from sales now. There you go. They'll stick a quota on you before you know it. <laughs> that was my one stipulation. I was like, I'm not in sales. Don't have quotas. You got nothing to do with that. Yeah, that's a different world. But uh, yeah, I mean, our accountant, Frank, is an amazing communicator. And I don't think he ever got a CPA. He was never sort of a CPA. He uh, came into it, you know, from different angles. And um, he's just been a revelation to our business. And uh, I'm thankful every day for Frank and his efforts. And, and he's building a team out now. And there's probably a few people at Facebook he might be able to hire today. But um, <laughs> 13,000 people looking for jobs. That's all right. That's the season that we're in at the moment. <laughs> yeah, it's a cycle that goes through it. In a lot of businesses, but I, I think maybe in in finance because maybe it's because finance people haven't been able to, you know, some perhaps, majority perhaps, uh, finance people haven't sort of had a reputation of being great communicators and they haven't been able to portray or convey the story of the numbers. They could, they're great at the numbers, but it's really only half the battle or perhaps even less. You know, understanding and drawing meaning from the numbers is the most important thing as a business owner, I believe, anyway. <laughs> yeah, if, it, if it's not actionable, then what are you doing with it? One of the things we talk about in some of our thought leadership is you know, we really uh, talk about operationalizing accounting. And if you look at like a pure definition of operation or operationalize, it's just to measure and track the abstract, right? Which is simple. It's, you know, that could be, you could apply that in any situation in life. You could say, well, I'm going to measure and track how fast I can run a mile, how much I can bench, my cholesterol. How many days you can ski. Yeah, how many days I can see. But measuring and tracking doesn't really do anything for you unless you have the intention to change it. So we kind of like to change that definition a little bit and say, if you're going to operationalize, you're going to measure and track something with the intention to change or improve it. That's where, you know, accounting in the past is maybe they measure, maybe they track, but they haven't ever done anything with the intention of changing it. And that's where, as Flowcast, we really want people to focus is, is stop getting caught up just in like, well, I've achieved my goal because I, I measured the number you know that I run. Closed in 10 days. Yeah, not, I closed in 10 days. You know, we, <laughs> we made this much money or whatever it is. It's like, well, what's that mean? And what are we going to do with it? What do we want to go with it? And that's where, um, you know, I really think, as I was alluding earlier, that the successful CFO knows how to take that and craft the story, right? And say, this is what occurred. This is what has happened. But then also write the narrative for tomorrow and say, but, and this is where we think it's going to take us tomorrow. And that's what really drives people and drives the action in the organization. You must work with a lot of customers and clients as an evangelist. What are some of your favorites? What if I say uh, perhaps a client that's inspired you or, or that they've gone on a fantastic journey, who comes to mind? You don't have to name names by the way, but what types? 
there's a few journeys, you know, it's always great to just um, flat out see when someone implements the tool and they're like, yeah, I reduced the days to close the books by X days, you know, whether that's one day because they're only already at five and they got down to four, which is impressive feat, or whether they went from, you know, 45 to 10 overnight. They're like, it used to take us a month and a half to close the books, which is just insane that people were going through that kind of pain. But what I really like seeing, you know, there's a customer internally that's up in Alaska, actually. And what was what I love about her story the most is that it talks to the emotional side of things and the personal cost of accounting. And she has a quote, and I'll, I'll butcher it, even though I've read it probably 40 times this month. But she essentially talks about how there's all this burden at work. You work these late hours, you miss bedtime, you miss meals, you miss moments. And people don't talk about the fact that People can cry at their desk about this. The stress is so strong to get the work done that people are burdened to the point that they're crying at their desk. And she talks about how implementing Flowcast, not the fact that she necessarily all of a sudden noticed, oh, I'm no longer crying at my desk. She said that my husband noticed things were better in life. He said, you're better, you're better, what's changed? And that it could actually affect a tool that she was using in work could affect her personal life that strongly that she was all that stuff disappeared. And all of a sudden she was like, I didn't have this excessive burden on my personal life anymore. And to me, that's really important is that I think a lot of times we forget that there's a personal emotional cost to doing work in the, the same old way, the status quo, and not challenging it and saying, we don't need to live this lifestyle as accountants where we work super late hours, we're underappreciated, just trying to get to this hero's journey every month. And instead of saying, no, actually, we can do this better. We can be strategic assets to the organization. And I'm not sitting there super frustrated at my desk every day. And if it's not you crying at your desk, right, it might be an employee. You just don't know it. And I never want to look back at my job as a manager and say, oh, yeah, I had an employee crying at their desk constantly, super burdened by this. But I did nothing. <laughs> right? Like, that's just like a terrible place. <laughs> yeah, well, in a whole lot of ways, right? Yeah. What's the ideal customer profile? Let's talk about the types of customers that you service. There's a wide net to cast there. You know, internally, I think other people would disagree, but I think once you kind of have a team of at least five, six on your accounting team working on the close, we're definitely, it's time to look at your workflow automation tool. There's enough communication going on there. There's enough tasks being done there that it helps to have that workflow automation tool to help ease lines of communication improve perception and get the work done in a healthier way. But I think pretty much there's not a cap on the size of the organization that it can work for. Whether you're a large decentralized multinational organization, you know, I think when I look at Skull Candy, we had, um, when I first started there, we had a lot of accountants in different countries because there's a lot of sales orgs and different companies, whether that's a GMBH over in Europe, or maybe you have an entity in China doing manufacturing, right? And getting all those accounts on the same page in different time zones uh, with different statutory requirements is really difficult. And it'd been very helpful to have something like a Flowcast there to anything in between. It's a pretty wide net to cast, but I think once you break that threshold of, of five, six individuals on your team, it's time to use it. And then I think maybe only the most robust, complex organizations that already really have a really set process internally they don't really deviate. So it's like you get some of your, your large manufacturers that are like, this is how we close every month. We've been doing it this way for 20 years. Maybe they're not going to see the same use 
but I would actually challenge they could probably flip that narrative on its head and, and see a lot of use out of it. Yeah, yeah, they've they probably got other issues if they've been doing the same thing for. But you know, if to get five or six people on your accounting team, you're probably, you know, twenty, thirty million and above of revenue, something like that, depending on the complexity organization. Yeah, I'd say depending on the industry, you know, it could be anywhere from twenty-five to fifty million in that space, and that's about time to start looking at a tool to come in and help you. Or, you know, in some organizations, you're still pre-revenue, right? But if you're significant enough in your operations that you need that tool. So, you know, you think about different healthcare, you know, pharmaceutical stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. There's obviously smaller revenue, higher complexity yep. types of industries. That makes sense. What's on the agenda for 23? Are you guys uh, growing strongly and, and looking to expand countries? What's the uh, strategic plan look like? Yeah, you know, strategically, we're all of the above, right? We've seen tremendous growth in our business. It's been really great. And it's really fun to uh, be in an organization that grows in that way. That's one thing that was exciting about Kodiak Cakes. That's one thing that's really exciting about Flowcast is just, you know, like when you see the new logos coming in there and everything, names you recognize. Uh, but yeah, we're definitely expanding our presence globally. You know, we opened up a UK office a couple of years ago. And that's done really well, expanded into, you know, the dock region, stuff like that. Looking down into probably, if I had to guess, like Australia and New Zealand are, are pretty high on our list. Don't go there. They're, those people are weird, I reckon. <laughs> There's a reason you left. <laughs> Don't tell mum. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I think, you know, expanding our presence in, in some of those really easy to reach because just to the, the language barrier, right? It's like, well. Yeah, just change the Zs to Ss. You'll be right. <laughs> Turn the dates around. Don't forget to change the dates. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> and so it just makes it really easy to kind of expand, to launch and expand in those regions. But we've seen some good success in the, the global market. And we really want to uh, bring our product out there. This is my personal opinion and kind of what I've seen is in a lot of cases, the U.S. is very uh, forward thinking when it comes to financial reporting and financial processes. And so it's really fun to kind of bring uh, some of the stuff to the broader, or you know, different countries and everything, because you can really impact the way they look at their financials, period, right? It, it can be even more impactful to them. And then. You know, I think as, as far as product goes, um, you know, we have, I don't want to like let the cat out of the bag on uh, too much, but we've, we definitely are launching some really neat product in late Q1 on the platform that will really impact the way people do their compliance side of the house that I think really rounds out the platform quite nicely. The competitive landscape is, is not too dynamic, I would say. I mean, ours isn't either. It's sort of doesn't change, you know, rapidly because not everybody wakes up in the morning and goes to Y Combinator and wants to start close workflow software or or practice management for that matter. But Blackline is probably the most well-known in your space and a phenomenal story of the founder, Teresa, and one of the very first women to found a company and take all the way to IPO. You know, there's probably good and bad things about, and we find the same thing. It's like you, you got to keep innovating to stay ahead, but also adoption in the market can be frustrating sometimes as well. The accountants aren't uh, by nature the the most uh, progressive all the time, right? So, what do you think it is that drives the founders to to better, to grow, to innovate, and and those kinds of things? Within Flowcast, I think what really drives us is, you know, our founders are accountants, right? Two of the three founders are accountants. They've lived this lifestyle. They know the pain intimately. 
And a lot of times, and if you, you know, if any listeners like interested in some very, um, a little bit of light casual reading, we've done some surveys recently with different CFOs and everything. But we found that a lot of technology in the fintech space is not really purpose built behind the user, right? It's purpose built around the function and it's just trying to achieve an objective. And it is a engineer solving the problem in the way that they see the problem existing and being told to them but not really natively understanding the end user. And what we see is that that creates unforeseen friction in use and adoption and functionality, where it's like, well, hey, the functionality is there because I, I built it into the platform and the program. But then when the user gets it, they're like, well, it doesn't really work the way I work. And so that functionality doesn't really exist. There's kind of this event horizon of you know form or, or usability that needs to happen. And we see that friction actually causing people to not be able to close their books as quickly, reopen their books more often, having work interfere with their personal life more often, driving what we call burnout. And we did a whole study on that. We applied, we applied a methodology they use for surgeons to identify if surgeons are too burnt out and shouldn't be doing surgery currently, right? Obviously, a very important thing is if my surgeon... Obviously. <laughs> Maybe don't cut my chest open. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're about to have a breakdown. <laughs> well, a very stressful role, right? Like, yeah, I understand the analogy. Or it's not quite an analogy, is it? It's the similarities between the constant pressure to perform. Yeah. We kind of use this methodology, the Maslach, uh burnout inventory, and we applied it to accountants. We found out that accountants as a whole in the industry are significantly burnt out, right? driving poor reporting, right? And it's like, if you have poor reporting, you have poor decision-making, period. That's just how that works. If you have bad data, you can't make a good decision off of it. And we kind of got into the drivers of that. And we found out that technology is one of the big drivers of that and adoption of that technology and how it's used. So what really drives innovation at Flowcast is that we will really focus around the user. We want to work as the user thinks, as the user works and what they want, not necessarily how we want to solve their problem, if that makes sense. And a lot of times technology says, well, we can solve your problem this way. And so you just need to change the way you do things. And we say, no, if that's the way you want to do it, then technology needs to embrace the way you want to do it. And we'll fill in that gap. And I think that's what really sets us apart as a product. And that's what's really important about our founders is that two of the three of them are accountants, know that pain intimately, and really stay true to that, that North Star. And the other founder who's the in the engineer and the the brains behind making the product really sticks to that truth well and says well this is how we want to solve that problem is focusing on how the user wants it solved not how we want to solve it for them i think that's where our competitors really fail is they're saying well no we're simply just going to solve the problem as we want to solve the problem well as we come up to time here stefan tell me uh what's next for you are you uh planning a big ski season what's on the agenda over the next uh, couple of quarters? I think for us is really trying to expand our thought leadership. And that's a lot of what I'm gonna do at Flowcast, which is is a lot of fun. I gotta say, I didn't realize how much fun it'd be to say, how do we wanna communicate with people, right? What is the story we wanna tell? So I think internally at Flowcast, it's really saying, looking at 2023, how do we want to communicate to people that there is a greener pasture, there is a better way to do things? Also making sure that we're still listening to people to make sure that we're solving it the way they want to and that we're, we're open to new ideas ourselves. You know, on a personal level, yeah, I'm looking for a great ski season ahead of me. So <laughs> we are dumping Salt Lake. We have a resort opening up here. Uh, 
I think potentially solitude locally might be opening up as soon as the weekend, which means that and that's a fairly low elevation resort compared to Brighton or Alta or Snowbird. So that means those guys should be right behind it. So I'm like salivating at like the idea that it's okay, I can get up there soon. I got to get some new sticks though. I need, I need some new skis uh, to ride on. So I'm, I'm now like neck deep in research. I'm like, oh, what are we riding this year? There's so many brands out there these days. I, I saw Bodie Miller just uh, started his own brand of uh, all mountain skis, ironically. It is ironic. Yes, it's not good. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, what's the, brand? what's the name? I'm going to look it up. Oh, I, I can't remember, but just Google Bodie Miller skis. You probably have a sort of couple of local guys that build planks. We've got uh, Praxis to try and support them. Yeah. It's snowing out the window as I speak. So I might, um, don't tell my, uh, my colleagues, but I might go and sneak out, put some skins on and go and sneak out the Savo. And, uh, <laughs> but, uh, road Mount, our local is opening on Friday. So I'm going to, I'm going to be up there. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> nice. I need to get out there and try it out. We're looking at, uh, right now I'm kind of in that place of like how many ski trips can I fit in this season and, and where are they going to be? I think steamboat might be first, but I need to get out there and get the sea legs back on me, so to speak. So, well, there's plenty of companies up and down the the, the western seaboard that you can uh, can come and visit and and put in some days. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, but yeah, that's what's on the horizon for me. It sounds like it's the same for you. It's just getting those turns in. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm uh, I'm pretty stoked. It's. Uh, I, I mean, I hope you know. Last year we got some snow early, and then you know, and then we got a big big lot at Christmas, and that was about it for the year. So I'm hoping that. Uh, it's a little bit more consistent, but um, humans have managed to fuck up the climate considerably, and so we're at the mercy of our own stupidity. So there you go. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you know, but the, the Great Salt Lake, yes, may not have the lake soon. That's how like low it is. Yeah, that's a significant issue. I was, I was reading about that. That's a massive issue for the area. They say that there's a lot of like uh, arsenic dust at the bottom of it, and um, if it dries up. That that's just going to blow into the local climate, and like it's like okay, well. Tahoe's looking nice, so you might get a new neighbor out of me. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> Utah, you've got a bit of payroll tax, don't you? So Nevada, come to Nevada and uh, and help support the local economy and and uh, skip out the payroll tax. It's quite a nice bonus. <laughs> yeah, that Mount Rose area is looking pretty good. I have a coworker that's over there as well, so I'm, I'm hearing good things. It might <laughs> it might need a, a visit one of these days. The skis are up at uh, the local um, ski shop uh, getting their yearly tune and, um, well, getting their first tune of the year. And uh, out we go. But, uh, Stefan, thank you so much for your time today. It's been wonderful to catch up and talk a tiny bit of work and and more skiing, and I I appreciate that uh, more than anything. (laughs) Well, if you end up in Salt Lake, let me know. We can get some turns in. Sounds great. You have a great day. Cheers. All right. (laughs) Pleasure, sir. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you found this discussion interesting, fun, you'll find lots more to help you run a successful accounting firm at Carbon Magazine. There are more than a thousand free resources there, including guides, articles, templates, webinars, and more. Just head to carbonhq.com/resources. I'd also love it if you could leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to this podcast. Let us know you like this session. We'll be able to keep bringing you more guests for you to learn from and get inspired by. Thanks for joining and see you in the next episode of the Accounting Leaders Podcast.